As a little kid in the 1970s, my favorite television show was Zoom, a zippy and zany PBS program created almost entirely by children. I'm gonna zoom, 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 a zoom. I'm gonna zoom, a zoom, a zoom, a zoom, a zoom. Who would have imagined that 49 years later, I'd be walking around not only singing this catchy theme song, but living it. Zoom, the video conferencing platform that enables millions of us around the world to keep connected. It can be glitchy, exhausting, and even daunting. Am, am I muted? No. But it can also be wonderful. To see faces and not just hear voices can take away feelings of isolation. Classes, worship, baby namings, even memorials become more intimate. And collaborations can continue when it is not safe for us to be together in person. But all this glitchy, exhausting, intimate, essential connecting makes me wonder, what kept me from doing it before? I don't mean the cocktail parties and book groups with people in town kind of Zoom. I'm talking about the college friend reunions, cross-country cousin Netflix party meetups, and parental video check-ins. We've had this technology for years, so why are we only doing this long-distance connecting now? New York Times culture writer Ali Drucker asks, did I really not see my parents' faces for months on end, even over a screen, simply because I had the option of socializing with my nearby friends instead? Was I actually just super busy, or did I want to avoid confronting how much I missed them? How I was quietly nursing the loneliness of feeling like I might not truly know the people I can't see in person anymore. It's been seven months of pandemic, seven months since I last saw my parents, my siblings, and it's uncertain when it will be prudent or even possible to visit them in New York again. I miss them all so much, though the reality is I've gone longer without seeing them. So maybe it's not loneliness exactly, but a now unavoidable awareness of my own frailty and theirs. A recognition that in moving through our lives, we default to focus more on our busyness and less on the relationships that keep us whole. A little chaos is fun when you have control or at least think you do, but the intentional chaos of that TV show is not so charming now that it's the constant backdrop of our lives. I would do anything for a little more structure and routine. It's not very comfortable to be here, but so it is. And the source of so much of our suffering is in wishing we were somehow, in some way, somewhere else. So rather than spend our time lamenting what we cannot control, let's envision a better now, even better, a post-COVID reality where we are more clear about our priorities and more focused on taking care of ourselves and nurturing others, a reality in which we don't feel quite so alone. Tonight, you are not alone. You're with us. Tonight, we join all the generations that came before us as this most unusual new year unfolds. 
and the tools our people have relied on for millennia, tradition, community, and hope can help us too as we weather these daily storms of uncertainty. One tool that speaks to this moment is the Talmudic text, Elu Divarim. We read it together every Saturday morning. Elu Divarim she'ein lahem she'or. These are things that are limitless, of which a person enjoys the fruit of the world while the principle remains in the world to come. They are honoring one's father and mother, engaging in deeds of compassion, arriving early for study morning and evening, dealing graciously with guests, visiting the sick, providing for the wedding couple, accompanying the dead for burial, being devoted in prayer, making peace among people, but the study of Torah encompasses them all. Elu Divarim articulates the traditional rabbinic value system that emphasizes a connected and compassionate communal life. And as the teaching goes, there are tangible benefits now as well as benefits that last long after we are gone. The particulars are straightforward. Take care of your elders, incorporate hospitality, compassion, generosity, kindness, study, and prayer into your life. But our sages remind us, they are also without limit. The traditional reading of this text suggests that while there is no maximum amount, a minimal effort is required. But also, these are perpetual tasks that we should always have in mind. I'll add a third meaning. With no outer limit, we have the responsibility to interweave these traditional ideals with the modern realities of our community, finding ways to bring uplift and connection to others. And in this current moment, we can reimagine ways to fulfill these obligations, staying safe while we create impact in our own lives and the lives of those we love. Elu divarim she'ein lahem she'or, these are things that are limitless. Life cycle events, they've been hard. Funerals with more than a minion present are prohibited. We now do brises from afar. Weddings have been postponed or pared down. Joyful moments are muted. Sad ones feel amplified in their loneliness. And yet life goes on, and so do these core Jewish rituals in spite of the pandemic. Look back across the expanse of our history. It is this moment that connects us to the tenacious spirit and innate abilities of our people. Slavery in Egypt, exile in Babylonia, expulsion from Spain, pogroms, the Shoah. Jewish existence has often been filled with uncertainty, fear, and danger. So many funerals, yes, but also brises, b'nai mitzvah, and weddings to celebrate too. Our rituals have always provided essential structure in our lives. So Elu Divarim, these are things our tradition requires us to do. Visit the sick, provide for the wedding couple, accompany the dead for burial. But it is the compassion, generosity, and kindness that underlie these mitzvot that make them so important. I'm not asking you to ignore your disappointment and sorrow, but I am asking you to place them in greater context and to take stock of what truly adds substance to your life. Because life cycle moments are markers in time. 
They help us differentiate between Kodesh and Chol, sacred moments and ordinary life, and we cherish them. But our tradition also values the daily miracles that surround us. I was very disappointed that my summer plans for study and travel were canceled and my kids didn't get, a go, get to go to summer camp. But it's actually the mundane encounters, those daily miracles experienced with family and friends and colleagues that I miss the most. Zoom meetings are productive, but they often lack creative energy. And I yearn for a leisurely dinner out with friends or the satisfaction of an unexpected deep conversation at school or at shul. In pre-COVID times, I was always in a rush to get to the next meeting and had to motivate to go out just to have fun. Now I'm filled with anticipation as I cross the street to share an occasional glass of wine at my neighbor's fence or pop over to a friend's backyard pool from six feet away, of course. Time together now feels much more special than it did when my calendar was full. Psychologist Liz Dunn explains why. Whatever we have, we tend to get used to it. So no matter what wonderful things come to our lives, over time, the pleasure that they provide gradually diminishes. This phenomenon is often referred to as the hedonic treadmill, conveying the idea that we're stuck and no matter how hard we try to get happier, we can't. And it turns out the way to fight this psychological phenomenon is to deprive ourselves a little bit without constant access to the things that we like. It may seem counterintuitive, but apparently the best way to experience enjoyment is to limit our exposure to what we desire most. Whether or not we intended to sign up for this psychological experiment, all this at-home time highlights its truth. At first, there was relief to see my life open up, no more carpool with my kids' activities canceled, more quiet evenings at home to catch up on my Netflix backlog, but now I would have do anything to have somewhere to go, any excuse to get dressed up and see everyone, I feel a wistful yearning for the life I used to live. But I also realized I was doing too much. Maybe you were too. If this time apart has emphasized anything, it is that busyness fills the hours, but not the space in our souls. This is a perfect time to ask ourselves some essential questions. What relationships nurture us and bring us satisfaction? What rituals give us comfort? What activities provide us with purpose and meaning? When the pandemic has subsided and we start to reconstruct our new lives, what do we want our reality to be? Elu divarim she'en lahem or. Recently, I started to think that I should make this prayer my mantra, but even better, make it my own. A list where intentions, both ancient and modern, intersect that I can say to myself while I look in the mirror and brush my teeth each morning. Maybe you want to try it too. I started saying my personal Elu Divarim to myself every day. Elu Divarim she'en lahem or. These are things that are limitless of which a person enjoys the fruit of the world while the principle remains in the world to come. These are ways to make my life richer now and help me craft a legacy that I am proud to pass on to my children and my community. Focus on family. Reach out to my parents, my in-laws, my brother and sister, 
every week just to ask, how are you? Reach deep for compassion. Study, read every morning and night. Hospitality, nurture relationships that bring me joy. Visit the sick, make the call, make the time. Provide for the wedding couple. Say yes to attend simchas whenever possible. Accompany the dead for burial. Be there even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. Prayer. Work on quieting the voices in my head. Work on practicing gratitude. Make peace among people. Forgive them for their imperfections and missteps and pray that they will do the same for me. I've been reading these words every morning for a month now. Here's what I've noticed. I'm happier and I'm more focused. I try to be more careful about what I say and how I spend my time. I'm working on being more flexible with my expectations and reflecting more on what our present and future are likely to be. It's never going to be perfect or even linear and there will be loss and sadness and disappointment. But ultimately, we'll get there. And that's the hope. Our obligations are limitless, but so are our opportunities. So as we begin this new year, let us commit to creating our own mantra, words that center us, uplift us, remind us of our potential to share comfort and joy. Let us commit to the limitless work that is set before us, because when we are authentic in our attempts to be more compassionate, patient, and present, we reap the benefits now and in the world to come. Amen.